0: Episode seven, The Beatles, six. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Welcome to the Beatles Come to America podcast. I'm your host, Tom Gawker, along with the Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin. Today, we're chatting about the Beatles 6, which was released in the summer of 1965, June 14, 1965 to be exact. We have some housekeeping notes before we get into that show. I have a podcast called Something Came From Baltimore, which is a music interview podcast. It's more jazz, R&B, and blues, and it's not really about Baltimore, but we want you to subscribe. The link is in the show notes. We want you to be a part of that Be More Music scene. The Beatles guru, Brooke Halpin, is all-knowing when it comes to Beatles. He sweats the Beatle DNA, and that's the way I like it. Follow him on his Facebook page called Come Together with the Beatles and Brooke Halpin. The link is in the show notes. And we have our own Facebook page called The Beatles Come to America, We're asking you to subscribe, and then think about the Beatle albums. See if you can rank them from best to worst. It's kind of hard to do. What we did was we we did it at the beginning of the podcast run, and then we turned around and realized that we had to change it up a little. It's a little harder than you think. Just remember that we are a DIY lo-fi tech recording. We're both in our living rooms, not in the studio. We hope you subscribe, participate, enjoy. Just remember, we love the Beatles, and just be gentle on the comments. Now, let's get into the interview. It's The Beatles Come to America, Episode 7, The Beatles 6. Welcome, Brooke Hoppin, to The Beatles Come to America.
1: Tom, they came to America, and they conquered America and most of the world, and it was like something we had never seen before unparalleled, unmatched to this very day. And here we are many, many, all these many years later talking about it. Yeah. That's how incredible and powerful it was and is. We,
0: we ended at Beatles 65. So that was December 15th, 1964, that that was released Uh, Then we had the early Beatles, which is just a duplication of introduction to the Beatles. Uh, It was that came out March 22nd, 1965. That went as high as 43 and went platinum. So now we're looking at roughly two more months later. They do the Beatles six. It's a 27 and seven minutes and 45 seconds. It went platinum. It took its time, though. Uh, probably because Help came out in August and kind of slammed it because it was just a more exciting project. And then we had Rubber Soul at the end of the year. So uh, just that 64 was busy, 65 is is almost equally busy also. Album is half of uh, the the Beatles for sale and half of Help. Uh, The majority of it is Beatles for sale, uh, a couple Help items and two of them that made it to the past masters. Uh, or the, I'm sorry, they weren't released on albums, and that's just right. uh, the song Bad Boy, and yes, it is. As we talked about 65, it was kind of a country vibe, uh, salute to Americana. What's your thought on this album?
1: Oh, I thought Beatles 65 was the precursor to folk rock. I thought they were, in terms of the way they were evolving, was where they were going, which, of course, would lead to Robert Soul, which is definitively uh, folk rock L D. This album is, uh, I'd say, a bit of a mess. Uh, number one, it's called Beatle Six, and it's the seventh album that Capitol released. So what the hell is that? Straight away, it's not the sixth album; it's the seventh. The title's it's wrong. Number one, which I don't understand. Why are they calling it Beatles Six? Does anyone know? Please tell me. Tell me. I'm listening. Nobody knows. Because it's not the fifth. It's not the sixth album. It's the seventh. So number one. That's the problem. Even though, at the time, they could have called it Beetle Twenty Nine or Beetle Zero Zero Three, and everyone would have gone out and bought it. It didn't matter what the, back then when they were released. It didn't matter what the what the names of the albums were. But in retrospect, looking back, you know these are reasonably good questions. I'd say the the album is a mix. It's, it's a mixture of many different things. As you said, they're pulling from two different LPs that were released in the UK. They got four covers on here. They have seven original songs, and they're all different. The seven original songs are quite different. So what kind of an album is this? Is it a rock and roll album? Is it a folk rock album? Is it a country rock album? Yes. But I think overall that they were hearkening back. If you just look at the album, this album by itself, it's more rock and roll than it is folk rock, I think. Well, you've got Kansas City. You've got Bad Boy. You've got Izzy Miss Lizzie, And then you've got the original Eight Days a Week. So straight away, those are rock, those are rock and roll songs, no doubt. And then you get into the other tracks, which could be called folk rock, country rock, that kind of thing. So this album is a, is a mixture of many different things. Uh, I do like the cover. This is a cover. They're extremely happy. Look at their faces.
0: With most yeah. of their um covers, they look exhausted.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a great cover. And I love what uh, I love that shirt that George has on that that shirt with the white collar matching with the white cuff and a different color shirt. The What's interesting is they're holding on to something, right? When, what are they holding on to? Does anyone
0: know? Tom, do you know? Is that a uh, question? I actually thought they were putting their, all their hands together.
1: Oh, no, no. They're holding on to something. All right, I'll tell you what they're holding on to.
0: Thank they're you, holding please.
1: on to a, a Very, very large knife. (laughs) Very large knife. Because because as you can see, the picture is cropped, right? What's going on beneath their hands? Well, this large knife is going into this huge cake. And that's what they're doing. Four of them are holding onto the knife and they're putting it into this large cake. I thought that it was a button that they were pressing to actually press the camera that was facing them that would make sense right kind of looks like that in a way that they're taking the picture with by snapping a button because back then they had those kind of things those devices anyhow great cover and then it goes on to say capital says uh, that this is new improved full dimensional stereo Well, that sounds pretty exciting. And this is from the world's most popular foursome, which of course, uh, at the time it was released, it was absolutely true. So that's my general overview of the album, as we now can begin to go into the individual tracks.
0: Yeah, I think when we go through some of these, especially the um, the, the remakes, they did them all in one take. I, I think they were just stretching out for music. I mean, they're just pumping out so much music in a short period of time that they went to the live hits that they knew were successful when they were touring. But like the first one, which is Kansas City, um, that was uh, a Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller uh, recorded song in 1952. Little Willie Littlefield uh, recorded it first. That wasn't that big of a hit. It was Wilbert Harrison in 1959 that made it a hit. And then Little Richard did a version of it and added the hey, hey, hey part.
1: I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. Going
2: to Kansas City,
0: that's the one that they stuck with. Um, That version of Little Richard only hit 95. It's awesome. It's a good song. I mean, they did this song in one take. They worked with Little Richard, and uh, they recorded this in 10, 18, 1964, and they recorded a lot of other songs, but they knocked this out, out of the box, one take.
1: Yep. It's great. It's a great recording. It's a great performance. McCartney's vocals, he's in excellent form. He sounds fantastic. And By listening to the song, you can hear that they're having fun. Their good time feeling of this recording, and I know because I've been in many, many recording studios, is that when you're feeling really good and you're having a lot of fun and you're laughing and everybody's happy with each other, it gets into the actual song. And you can hear it on on Kansas City they're having a the total ball especially on um, when George and John answers Paul on the hey 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 and they're going hey 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 and you can almost hear them laughing it's wonderful I love it I love it very much I still love it I always will love this song hey, 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 hey. Now, it's very interesting that they did perform this in 1964 when they did their tour of the U.S. Um, They performed it only once on the tour, and they performed it where else? In Kansas City. Kansas City was not on the schedule. That was to be their day off. Do you know this story by, by any chance, Tom, why this happened?
0: No, no, give me this one. I never no? heard this one.
1: Okay. So, Ryan gave the guys one day off. You know, they are bouncing all over the country. You now, one day in this city, the next day in the next city, they, they were working. Uh, it was a hard day's night. They were working, you know, hard day's night. They were working like dogs. Okay. Charles Finley. This entrepreneur, wealthy gentleman from Kansas City, was determined to get the Beatles to perform in Kansas City. So he approached Brian Epstein, or he got hold of Brian. He offered them fifty thousand dollars to play their show. Now this is 1964, and Brian goes, uh, "Sorry, Charles, but you know the boys need a day off." Okay, so, Finley says, okay, tell you what, I'll give you $100,000. Now, also keep in mind, we're talking about a 25-minute performance. <laughs> so, $100,000 for 25 minutes on stage is a lot of money in 1964. Brian goes, no, sorry, I'm very sorry, but we just can't squeeze it in. Charles Finley says, okay. I will pay you $150,000. Brian says, uh, let me check with the boys. <laughs> $150,000. So Brian goes to the boys, and they say, whatever you want to do, Brian's fine, you know, whatever you want. So Brian, being a fool and realizing that this is... <laughs> Much much far exceeded what they were getting in the other cities, you know by hundreds of thousands That's how they got to play in Kansas City on September 17th because of Charles Finley's insistence and because he basically bought the Beatles interesting story
0: That's a fine art of negotiation right there (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. this takes money. It's like how much (laughs) money does it take? To say yes, yeah.
0: so our second song on the album is eight days a week, which which was actually the single from this album There's Only one single which is kind of weird the backside uh, the B side was I don't want to spoil the party um, This is this is their seventh number one. They've had in less than a year uh, This is the first record that have a fade in intro This is also the first song that they brought to the studio unfinished that they worked on it in the studio they overdubbed the hand clappings later. John didn't yeah. like this song at all. He thought it was le- really lightweight. There was a discussion of like who did what. I think this was more Paul than John, but uh, they both had their hand in it. There's a discussion also about who created the eight days a week. Are you familiar with that?
1: Extremely so.
0: All right, you go on that. Tell me about the eight days a week. How was that set up?
1: Mr. Paulie McCartney couldn't, uh, he was being, he was banned from driving his car because he got a traffic ticket probably for speeding or something. So we had to take a chauffeur over to John's house. So, hi, he hires a chauffeur, and Paul, being the sociable guy that he is, says to the chauffeur, hey, how you doing? Oh, okay. So what's, uh, you know, how are you? And the chauffeur says, oh, uh, working eight days a week. Paul didn't say anything, and he goes into John's house and said, hey, John, I've got this great idea for a song. How about this title here? Eight days a week. And that's how it happened. I believe that's the true story. There's some other story that Paul said that I don't believe the other one. He said that Ringo made it up, but Ringo denies it. So that's how Paul came up with the title. And then he goes in and they have a writing session and they work on the song together. Well, it's the same kind of fun. You can hear, again, they're having a good time when they're recording this. The same kind of fun energy that they had on Kansas City. They were happy. Uh, they They were on top of the world. They were back in the studio. They had new material. It's, of course, a very positive song. You know, I ain't got nothing but love, babe. Wow, nothing but love. I mean, that's, how wonderful is that? Everybody loves to hear that. So, yeah, I love it. Great song.
0: The third song on the album, As You Like Me Too Much, it's a a George Harrison composed song. They recorded, actually, on February 17, 1965. There is a Horner Planet electric piano that John played. I know that George Martin and Paul were playing the Steinway, but not together in different parts of the song. Like This is a nice attempt. It's a good song from George. I forget about it and, and try to play it today and I was like, oh yeah, I do like this song. What's your thought on this song?
1: I love this song, but what's interesting about this song is that there's George, the lead guitar player who wrote it and there's very little guitar on the song. It's predominantly a keyboard song. The introduction is all keyboards. Like you said, John's playing the electric corner piano. George, Martin, and Paul are playing the Steinway piano. It's a very unusual introduction. You think George being a guitar player would have a guitar introduction, but no. So that's unusual, and, and I love it. I love it. It's a great beginning to the song. When you hear the beginning, you don't know what's coming. When you hear it, it's like, Okay, what what is this all about? This sounds different. And then all of a sudden, you've gone away this morning. It's almost like two different things are going on. It's like the introduction, you know.
2: You'll never leave me and you know it's true. Cause you like me too much and I like you. You've tried before to leave me but you haven't got
1: enough. Do we really know what's going to happen after the intro? We don't. So we, there's that element of surprise in the way that this song is put together which I like very much. George's double track lead vocal and as we mentioned very little guitar except there is this wonderful there's a dialogue going on in the instrumental break between the lead guitar and the piano <speaking in> the <background> different too very very different love it compositionally the way that's done and it's the song is kind of cocky in a way you know George was kind of cocky because he's saying listen you know, you're not gonna leave me even though you even though you should leave me you're not gonna you're not gonna leave me now no because you like me too much and I like you. <laughs> it's a great lyric. I love it. I love it. And that's John, of course, playing that electric corner piano, electric piano. And John's really, really rocking on that, on the piano, throughout the whole song.
0: Okay, on the, the fourth song, we have Bad Boy. This is a cover. Uh, Larry Williams should be rich off the Beatles because yeah. he sold a lot of records through the Beatles, not through himself. Uh, right. This song did not chart at all.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: we got Paul on doing an overdub on the electric piano. George plays a double-tracked lead guitar, and that's why the guitar is so important in this recording. The sound of his lead guitar is amazing, the sound of it. He plays so well. And it's this dialogue again. You know, John sings, That little kid moved into my neighborhood. And then George answers. That little kid moved into my neighborhood. That's the setup, right? That's the setup through the entire song. And it's so exciting to hear them going back and forth. You know, John sings part one lyric, part of the one lyric. George answers on this great lead guitar playing. I absolutely love it. Always did, always will. Yep, definitely.
0: And the fact that this song is roughly very rare, I mean, they got this off of, A record that they received in England and it it didn't chart so it felt like their song because no one really knew the original
1: well there again you see it's it's like the twist and shot thing we talked about because people in when this came out right in June of 65 and you listen and everybody runs out and buys a Beatle uh, beat six which is really a Beatle (laughs) seven and we listen to bad boy we're not going like oh Oh, look at Larry Williams wrote this song. <laughs> oh We're going, oh my God, it's the Beatles. You know, it's a Beatles song. And it's, again, you want to talk about rock and roll. Oh. And that's why I think overall, as we continue to go through the tracks, that this album is that on Beatles 65, I feel as though they were evolving toward folk rock him and getting away from the rock and roll sound of 64. And now we hear this and it's almost like it's back to rock and roll with some other songs mixed in. So interesting.
0: Track number five is I don't want to spoil the party. Uh, it is like a country rock song. The birds said that this was one of the first songs that they listened to that made them feel that that's the direction they wanted to go.
1: So, I understand you don't want to spoil the party. Well, John didn't want to spoil the party. And this is another example of coming off of, like, I'm a loser, right? Lyrically, it's not that far removed from the lyrics of, I'm a loser, to, I don't want to spoil the party. Because the girl stood him up. He lost. He's losing again. He's a loser and I don't want to spoil the party. He's going through rejection. He's been rejected, he's been turned down. Very similar emotion, lyrically, to I'm a loser. Now, this is, can be called country rock, it could also be called folk rock. You see, so here again, there's this mixture of, okay, are they a rock and roll band or are they going toward folk rock? And the answer, of course, is yes. They're a rock and roll band, and they're also doing folk rock. <laughs> it's not like the Beatles can only do one thing, which is one of the reasons why I love them so much. Now, people have said that Paul is singing the low harmony on the verses, John singing the other voice. Other people say it's John on the lower voice, and Paul is on the upper voice. Nope. It's John harmonizing with himself on the verses absolutely at 100 i am one million percent sure when you listen to it after i've said it to you you listen to it again and you will hear that it's john harmonizing with himself doing an overdub on the verses paul comes in on the bridge i don't want to fall upon so i go
2: my disappointment to show there's nothing for me here
1: by the way again it's the self you know introspection going on lyrically as uh, we discussed but also there's no chorus in this song there's no chorus it's verses and bridges there's no chorus if they had done what they would usually do right they would do the verse and then they would do, do that bridge I still love her. If I find her, I'll be glad. I still love her. And they would have done, I don't want to spoil the party. I don't want to spoil the party. But they didn't do that. That's where the chorus would have been. So it's very unusual in, in terms of the songwriting. For some reason, they said, no, no chorus on this one. And maybe that's one reason why it's East Side, and and that's where it stayed.
0: Number six was Words of Love, which is a Buddy Holly song. This song was released in June 20, 1957. It wasn't a hit for Buddy Holly. It didn't do too well, but it wouldn't really matter because that'll be the day as his next single, and he made some money, so he's good. The Diamonds did this song. They do opt it, and it hit number 13. But when it comes to the Beatles doing this cover they were strict Buddy Holly version. They did that. Yeah. Uh, John Paul and, and George sang in, in, uh, together in harmony, and boy did that sell that song. They, this is something that they did live in 1958 to 1962, so it only took them two takes to do this song, and it's dreamy, and it's uh, it's a near-perfect song for them. Hold
2: me close and tell me how you feel. You tell me love is real. love you. true.
1: Dreamy is a very, very good description. The, the vocals are lush. They're lush. They're so smooth. They're like satin smooth. And they're in their lower register, so it's almost like they're whispering the words of love. You know, it's not like, um,
2: words I love you,
1: you know, (laughs) it's words I love you. Well, they're even saying, whisper soft and true. So they're taking the lyric whisper, and they're actually performing it as a whisper. How brilliant is that? That's part of the magic of the Beatles and part of the magic of what they did with this one song. It's whispering. We have to sing as if we're whispering when we do the harmonies. And that's exactly what they did in the studio. And it's a mind blower. It's absolutely Perfect. And George's guitar is so fantastic. The sound of his guitar, which was double-tracked, it's got that bright, bright tone. Now, here you have the voices, which are the opposite of bright. They're mellow. They're a mellow mellow tone. Woods, I love you. And then me, I mean, the, you couldn't get more contrast. And again, that's absolute brilliance to do that. It's brilliant to, to take those soft voices and then have the guitar tone being just the opposite. Oh, God, this is so good. This is so good.
0: It only was two takes. Can you imagine, like, going in the studio, two takes, bang, the song's done. It's it's It just seems so more complicated than that. Yeah, well, again,
1: they've been playing it for years, yeah. They had it down, shall we say.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a part of their thing. I, and again, if you're going to do a cover, you might as well do one that feels like it's your song. Um, Very few people knew this song. The doo-wop version is completely different than the Buddy Holly one. Yeah. and we flip the the album over and we're ready to do what you're doing to me this is very similar to a song uh, you won't see me like it has that kind of structure
1: well let me chime in i have to say that lyrically for Paul it's it's different for him it's i'd say it's more mature more mature lyrics because rather than just Because, you know, Paul had written so many love songs. Of course, John did, too, in 64. But now he's actually putting the girl on the spot. And he's saying, hey, hey, well, wait a minute now. Wait, whoa. Look what you're doing. Hey, I'm feeling blue, and would it be so much to ask of you? It's like, what the hell are you doing to me? Now, that's that's a damn good lyric. I think so. And it's so unlike Paul. As you said, it's getting into more like you won't see me. It's the same kind of vibe, right? Hey, you know what? You keep doing that. Look what you're doing to me. Guess what? You won't see me. So, yes, absolutely. The lyric connection between what you're doing and you won't see me is is absolutely there. There's no question about it. Paul was the kind of guy who he wanted his woman to be with him Yeah, you know, he was a beetle he was the breadwinner and he was involved with the career woman and her career was just as, as important to her as paul's career was as important to him and the beatles with the beatles and that was a problem for paul he because paul wanted her with him certain events, special events, traveling, whatever he wanted her to be with him, and she could not do that because she'd be called off to Bristol to do a performance in Bristol England. She'd go off to some other theater. She was a very accomplished and sought after actress at this time. That was the problem in their relationship.
0: The Jane Asher themed songs. Uh, is almost as similar to the Adele album of sadness and, and upset. <laughs> he wrote some good stuff about her. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, he did. He did, yeah. Uh, but the, also with this song, the instrumental is brilliant. There's actually a rolling piano part. <laughs> It's incredible, it's incredible. That's George Martin, you know, with, also which Harrison's lead guitar. The problem with this though is, is that right from the very beginning, when they say, when Paul goes, look what you're doing, I'm feeling blue and the, the harmony on the look and I'm, they're not, it's not tight. It's sloppy. Listen to it. Look what you're doing. It's not tight. I mean, for the Beatles to be putting things out that are sloppy, I mean, were they really in that much of a hurry? I, I was really surprised that they did that. And then even on the third, I guess it's after the solo, again, yeah, on the guitar solo, then the harmony is even worse. It's almost buried. You can barely hear it because it's not that good. And the mix in this song also is uneven. It's an uneven mix. So it's a shame because I think this song could have been produced better, and I don't know why they let it go out this way.
0: The uh, next song, yes it is, took 14 takes. Well, there you go. So I that's spent
1: 14 takes
0: on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a B side for a Ticket to Ride. There's a really complex uh, three part harmony, and George is using a volume pedal guitar. Is that what
2: yeah. is the. Is yes, that it is. It's
1: true.
0: The, the sound for
1: Yeah, that? it was the precursor to what will become the wah-wah pedal. Ah, it's a volume pedal.
0: Yeah, I, I love this song. This song hit number 46 because it was a B-side. Yes, yeah.
1: it is. It's true. <laughs> Please don't wear red tonight. So the question is why? Why does John want her not to wear red?
0: This is what because I said tonight. Because red is the
1: color that will make me blue in spite of you. Now, what he's doing is lyrically, again, it's brilliant, because he's using colors. Please don't wear red tonight, because it will make him blue. Brilliant. What, what a fantastic lyric. You know, he could have said, please don't wear red tonight, it'll make me sad, right? It'll make me cry. Any of those would have worked, but no, it'll make me blue, red and blue, using colors. Oh, God, that's incredible. I just love that. The harmony is dissonant. This boy, he said that he was trying to write this boy again. Is that what you said earlier? I think you did. Right?
0: Yeah. hmm Yeah. Like a sequel. The,
1: this boy, the harmony is smoother and the notes that they sang in this boy are very consonant is the musical term they blend with each other on um, yes it is they're singing dissonant notes and when you listen to it very carefully it almost sounds like they're singing out of tune in places it really does because they're singing these like you said complex three-part harmony very very difficult to do and for it to come off the way you want it to they could have done it more like this boy and not sing the dissonant notes but they wanted to try of course it's the Beatles let's do something different and that's what they did the volume pedal at times and by the way the volume pedal is double tracked and no one talks about that, anywhere. You can definitely hear two lead guitar parts being played by George using the volume pedal. And at the very end of the song, when I, I remember hearing this for the first time. Uh, 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 uh something like that. And I thought, what the hell, they have a violin at the end of the song. I thought it was a violin they put on at the very end of the song. Of course, it's George, the way he's using the volume pedal which was something that he had to really work on to get it going right. You know, it's not just like you plug it in, you plug your, your cord into the volume pedal, then you plug the chord from the volume pedal into your amp, and then you start playing. No, no, it's a coordinated effort between hitting the notes at the right time and then using the pedal accordingly so that you can get the right sound. He did a fantastic job using the volume pedal, which was not used as far as I know. At that point, I don't think it was used before. It, that may be the case. Certainly wasn't used any other time before on a Beatle recording. And that's part of the magic of the song is George George's the guitar work.
0: The third song on side two is Dizzy Miss Lizzie, and again, this is a, a Larry Williams song. Yeah. Uh, this. Dizzy, Hit number 69 in 1958 so it didn't tear you know the radio apart until the Beatles played it George did double tracking John's vocals are awesome I I personally like the original better uh, the double tracking of the guitar is a little little uh, too much it's messed up <laughs> yeah. it's
1: messed up well okay so John's vocal A plus and he's also pumping away and uh, now he has the fox organ so instead of the corner electric piano. Now he's got the vox organ going on. Okay. Different sound. Different sound. The thing that makes this song so infectious is the repetitive guitar riff. (laughs) Through the whole verses. (laughs) I keep repeating the same thing without going down that little note that I did. However, when you listen to this, you can hear that before, when when George, after the first solo, he sounds like he's losing his part, where he doesn't know where to play it. So you can, you can hear it. Yeah. You can actually, absolutely hear it. Yeah and because they were laying down the music without John doing a guide vocal is my only explanation why that happened. But then, after the second solo, then he actually plays a wrong note. No, I'm sorry, right before the second solo, he plays a a wrong note. You can hear it. And again, it's like, why didn't they take the time? What is the story with this? you know, two songs on the same album that, to me, could have been better, could have been cleaned up. Why didn't they take the time and let George just do that little part again? But they, didn't. they left it in, and I don't know why. And it always bothers me when I hear that. And I heard it, when I first heard it, it bothered me, and it, it still bothers me. And you hear it as well, don't you?
0: Oh, yeah, this, this song is borderline annoying. And it shouldn't be, because it's a cool song. Has all the qualities, like a really cool song, and it's it's grating to the ears.
1: It's, the, it's their rock and roll, you know, again, they're doing their rock and roll. Their roots, and John's vocals are fantastic. So it's a shame that that happened with George's Lee Guitar Club.
0: Yeah, I, I would scrap that and start it all over again. The next song is Tell Me What You See. It's a Paul song.
1: This is one of the best songs on the album. This is obscure. Nobody talks about it. It's one of the best recordings. The recording in the production is superb. It's perfect. It's perfectly done, as opposed to what we spoke about earlier. Written by Paul. George. There's no... George doesn't play the guitar on this track, which I think is a little unusual. Paul plays a fantastic electric piano on the break. Oh, my goodness. Listen to me one more time. It is so good. And John and Paul's harmony is absolutely dreamily it's perfect. It's so damn good. I think that this is a very underrated song. I would call this a folk rock song. So here again, here we go again. Is this a rock album? Is it a folk rock? Is it teetering, going now toward more folk rock? This album is, is mixed up. It's a mixed album in many, in many respects. But I think it's a fantastic song. I think it's very underrated.
0: But it's definitely a rare gem. It's definitely, yeah. you know, hidden. Every Little Thing is a It's a, a Paul song. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time they let John do the lead on a song that Paul wrote.
1: When I looked at the back of the album, when I got the album back in 65, I saw Ringo with these drums, and I didn't know what they were. They're also called kettle drums because they look like big kettles. And... Then years later, I discovered why there was a photograph of Ringo with these kettle drums because he's playing timpani drums on every little thing. And that is a new sound. And it makes the song very exciting. The Beatles knew, George Martin knew, that you have to keep changing things up. You just can't have two, two guitars, bass, and drums on every song. You have to bring in other instruments, you have to use different guitars. You know, you have to go from the electric to the, from the six string to the 12 string to the 12 string acoustic to the nylon string classical guitar, and then bringing in other keyboards. You go from the corner keyboard to the Vox organ to the Hammond organ in the studio. I mean, these are all tools. These are instrumental tools that they used to make the songs sound different. And the timpani drum absolutely set this song off in that direction.
2: Every little thing she does, she does for me. Yeah. And you know the thing.
1: Yeah, that's what I would say. It's a nice way to end the album. That's I'd what, say. That's what
0: I was gonna say. Yeah, it's a it's a nice song to end the album with.
1: Yeah, yeah. The opening of the album is incredible. I mean to go from Kansas City. With such high energy and them having so much fun and going through all these different songs that we mentioned, which are all very different, with the exception of Cat Dizzy Miss Lizzie and Bad Boy, which are extremely similar, similar rock and roll songs. And then to end with this, it's a, it's a nice way to end it. So that's it. This is uh, not one of my favorite Beatles. <laughs> and also, as you probably know, you know this was recorded between a long stretch of time for them. And they started recording it at the end of September nineteen sixty four. And they were also recording at that time the material that ended up on Beatles 65. They were in in early 65, they were starting filming on help. They ended re- recording sessions for Beatles 6 on May 10th, 1965. They were in the process, they were on the sets of Help, you know, whether it was in London, whether it was in the Austrian Alps, or uh, in, where were they, in the Bahamas? Yeah, they were in the Bahamas. I was getting confused between the Bahamas and Bermuda, I think it was the Bahamas. It
0: was Bahamas.
1: It was mom's yeah so so this is to your point that they were in and out of the studio because they were making they were making their movie the second feature film and maybe that's one reason why they didn't take the time because maybe they didn't have the time and it was rushed and we talked about the things that could have been fixed up but they were probably too busy filming is my thought
0: you're right, because uh, Help comes out in August, um, the next album that we're going to talk about. And, you know, the mania of A Hard Day's Night starts all over again. Uh, people get to see uh, their favorite Beatles on the big screen. And uh, it's a good album. It's a good album. It's a good movie. And uh, it's exciting movie just to see these guys in action.
1: Oh, I'm looking forward to getting into that one.
0: For the record, I'm not going to be happy with this. It's a soundtrack with a lot of instrumentals in it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I couldn't figure that one, Tom. Yeah, uh, it's going to be, uh, I'm, I'm going to be very sour to okay. deal. All right. All well, right. Well, thank you very much, Brooke Alperin, for the Beatles coming to America.
1: My pleasure, Tom, and I'm sure glad that they did. And thanks so much for having me on the series.
0: The next episode, The Beatles Help Soundtrack. The Beatles come to America.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Now, enjoy an original Brookhaven composition. Earth still meets sky. episode.